It's the month of Teves, and like we've done the past two months, we brought on the legend himself, the incomparable genius, my dear brother-in-law, Rabbi Shmuley Botnik, to help us sort out the deeper meanings of this month, the mysteries, the secrets, the ideas behind the month of Teves. Uh, there's not really a lot going on. If you look at your calendar in this month, you see that there's a fast day, and that's really all there is. But of course, Rabbi Botnik has a way of peeling peeling the layers of the onion and showing us what's really going on, what's the mystery, what's the secret, what do we actually know, and what can we speculate about this month. So I'm looking looking forward to this. I did get the notes like I got last week, but uh, unfortunately it was mostly indecipherable to me. So uh we'll have to uh we'll have to make do. And uh I'm I'm relying a lot on Rabbi Botnik today. I think he's relying on me, so it might be a total disaster. But uh welcome Rabbi Botnik, it's great to have you back. Uh thanks so much, Rabbi Wilby. Yeah, so I, I hope it won't be a disaster. We're gonna try our best. I will say I'm a little biased about the month of Teves, and that's because my birthday falls out smack in the middle of the month of Teves. So That's right. That's right. Happy birthday. Well, Rabbi Botnik was born, I believe, on January 1st, a couple of strokes after midnight. I always say that his family was a family of accountants and not lawyers that would never be allowed to happen. <laughs> but alas, alas, was that right? Well, because we're lawyers, we turned we're the, the first... clock back a couple of minutes. <laughs> Anyways, okay. yeah, so Teves is it's kind of my month. Uh, like you said, it, it doesn't seem to have a lot going for it, um, certainly not in a positive way. But as we've seen in the past, that's that's usually a good thing because that means it's there's plenty of room to explore, um, plenty of like not yet discovered material, which uh, we hope we could tap into. So let's jump into it. Um, okay. We always uh, like first focusing on the the tribe that the month corresponds with, right? So we know already there's twelve tribes. There's twelve um, twelve months. And the Arizal has his own calculation as to which month lines up with which tribe. And the month of Teves is going to be the month of Dun. That's the shape of Dun. He is, I think, the oldest of Bilha's children. Is that right, Obi Wilby? Uh, don't yeah. test me on these things. <laughs> right. So, you know what I mean to say yeah, is he's not tr- tribe right, of Dan. So he's not one of the. Yes. Yes. He's, yes. he's uh, not a child of Rachel or or Leia. He's a child of. Yes. Billa's oldest kind of uh, surrogate uh, son. Yes. Uh, the surrogate son of of Rachel. Yes. Don and Dan and Naphtali. Okay. So that's the, the that's the he's the uh, tribe of the month. Okay. Now, the zodiac sign for the month of. Teves is a Gidi. A Gidi is a baby goat. Um, they're either, an adult goat is called a Seir. And a Gidi is a baby goat. And that is what, um, that is the zodiac sign that governs in the month of Teves. So we're going to have to explore what is the significance of a Gidi. So, so far, we got to figure out what's unique about Dun, what's special about a Gidi. And, I don't think we've discussed this in previous year, but also every month has a letter, um, a, a, a specific letter that's associated with it, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the letter of the month of Teves is an ayin, okay? An ayin. And also, and this we did discuss last month, is there is a Shem Havaya, right? A, a for, one of the 12 formulas of Hashem's 
ineffable name, yud Hey vav Hey can be rearranged in 12 different ways. And this time around, the month of Teves, the arrangement is, hold on, let me figure this out. It's going to be a Hey yud Hey vav But that, you don't have to remember that. The Arizal, for every single one of these formulas, he derives it from a Pasuk. Okay, so he'll say that you could see this this formula um, can be found hinted to in a certain pasuk. So the pasuk that he finds uh, this specific shame in is the pasuk Gadlu Lahashem Iti which we say every time we take the Sefer Torah out of the Aron Kodesh. Right? It's a very famous pasuk. So he says, if you look at the word, the final letters of the words Lahashem Iti. You'll get the last letter of La Hashem is a He. Iti is a Yud. Unaromima is a He. Yachtav is a Vav. Okay, so we're finding Tevez being hinted to in the Pasaf Gadlu La Hashem Iti Unaromima Shmo Yachtav. Which, Rabbi Wobi, do you want to give uh, um, a translation? Yeah, Gadlu means to make God great. God, make God great with I, me and, and let's lift him up together, right? Yeah, oh yeah, uplift, uplift yes. His up, name uplift together, his name. Oh, yes, okay. together. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so a lot to unpack here. Dun, goat, letter ayin, and the verse about lifting God up together. Can you think in your in your prodigious genius, Rabbi Wolby? Can you think of any sort of connection just on the spot between all these four different? Very <laughs> not not really. It seems like a mystery. The letter I, I know that you have a you have a, a thing. You have an affinity for that letter. We've heard that oh, in the very past. Very good. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, the letter I in. Okay, that's uh, the letter that corresponds to number seventy. I remember we talked a lot about the letter I in and the letter Aleph and Aaron and the swapping and the and the garments. Very good. And that's uh, all. The, that's all that a mystery. Year ago. So right. I know that the goat, the baby goat, uh, tribe of Dan. Um, and uh, this verse of uh, making God glorious together, it's, it's a total mystery. Right. It's a total okay, mystery. So, what yeah, do we have so over we're, here? We're going to debunk this together. Um, all right, so what what happens in the month of Tevis? You mentioned earlier that it's not all that much, and even what does happen seems to be pretty negative. Um, that's right. So primarily there's this fast day coming up. Okay, the, what is that? And it's going to be in very soon, right? On Tuesday. So today's Friday. This coming Tuesday, we're going to be fasting. It's one of my favorite fasts because it's really short. Um, how the like, Shkia here is like 5.20. So it's basically skipping breakfast and lunch, which I do pretty often anyways. Um, but it is a fast day, and it's a serious fast day. It's it it's kind of biblical. I mean, it it's not biblical because it's not explicitly in the Torah, but the occurrence that it's commemorating is found in Malachim, right? It's found in the Prophets. And what that is, is that the Babylonians surrounded the walls of Yerushalayim on that day, on the 10th day of Tevez, is when they surrounded, they lay siege on Yerushalayim. It was a year and change later that they broke down the walls of Yerushalayim, right? And that we fast as well. That's called Shiva Asr Batamuz. And then it's three weeks later that they set fire to the base of Mekdash, right? Is that, I think I got that right. Yeah, so we have different stages of the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, and the tenth of Teves corresponds to the siege, the encirclement of the walls of Jerusalem. They lay siege to it. 
And then they break through the siege, they breach the walls, and then they destroy the temple. And those successive stages, so to speak, of the destruction of the first commonwealth of, of Jerusalem and the temple are each marked by fast days. That's right. Okay, so that's the Sarbatis. But we are taught that that's not the only bad thing that happened in Teves. Leading up to the 10th day of Teves, the, the two days prior to that, the 8th day and the 9th day, also have their own unfortunate occurrences. Um, I, I hope I get this one right. So on the 8th day of Teves, we are taught a, a rather strange thing happened. The King Talmai, who was, I think, a successor... Of Alexander the Great, Rabbi Wolf is going to help me out here. He was one of yes, one of the successors. Right, that's right. right? Yes. There was a couple, like three of them. Um, but he got like a portion of Alexander's territory, and he demanded of the Sanhedrin, the, the leading seventy-two rabbis of the Jewish people at the time, to translate the Torah into Greek. And this, we are told, was a, a great tragedy. The the Gemara tells us that the world fell into darkness. There was Choshech for three days as a result of this decree. So this wasn't a small thing. Spiritually, this was a very big deal that we were compelled to translate the Torah into Greek. And we don't fast, per se, on the eighth day, but it is... um, We don't fast on the eighth day, but it is something which we mark as as kind of a, a blemish on our history that we had to go through that. Now, an obvious question, which has been asked by many, is what is wrong? I mean, there is a very successful company called Artscroll that does this for a living, right? They translate the Torah, not only into English, into into French, Spanish, maybe some Russian, right? What, what exactly is the problem with what happened there? Uh, and I hope to uh, come to some sort of understanding of that as well. Okay, that's on the eighth day. On the ninth day, I didn't see this brought down other than the Mishnah Berurah, so I'm sure there's earlier sources for this, that Ezra passes away. Ezra Hasofer, who played a, a significant role in our history. This was following the destruction of the first temple. He was the one who led the Exodus back to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, for the rebuilding or for the building of the second temple. So that's Ezra. So he passes away on the ninth day, and we are taught that that is also uh, obviously a very sad, uh, a sad episode. And again, we don't fast, but these three things kind of one follows the other. There's this translation of the Torah into Greek, Ezra's passing, and then the siege that's that lays that they lay around Yerushalayim on the tenth day. And you have to ask yourself. They sound really random. These three things, these three things, the only common denominators, they're all sad and unfortunate. But like, what in the world is the connection between siege, Greek, and Ezra? All right. So we have to find common threads between a lot of things right now. There's the, the goat, the letter I in the tribe of Dun, the verse, the siege, the translation, and Ezra. Sounds like fun. And if, if I'm not mistaken, these other days, so day eight, that uh, is the day that they translated the Torah, the Septuagint, the translation of the 70, and day nine, which is the death of Ezra, they're also fast days. Is that right? So, they're just yeah, fast days that, that uh, only individuals? We don't, we don't observe. observe. So yeah, I think they're, the, they're, they're, they're technical yeah, fast and days. Yeah, the Shulchan brings down all these like random fast days that we don't observe. 
I guess he's not saying you have to observe them. He's just saying, like, these are days that if you're in the mood of fasting, like, choose these ones or something. But I think that's on the list. Um, eight and nine, or maybe one, one of those two for sure is on the list. I believe, I believe both of them. Eight, nine, and eight, then of course ten, ten, which have one fast. Yeah, so go yes. for it. It will be. I challenge you to fast eight, nine, yeah, you could, and you could be, you could be a Muslim for a couple of days. <laughs> Ramadan! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, right. it comes right after January. This year comes after January, so everyone wants to, you know, fulfill their New Year's resolution. So maybe <laughs> fast a couple of days, lose a couple of pounds. All right. Anyhow, okay. So let's explore ahead. first the most prominent of these three of these three occurrences, and that will be the siege that was laid around um, Yerushalayim by the Babylonians. So the Babylonians are the first of four exiles, right? So there's there's four different Galuyos. There's the Galus Bavel. There's the Galus Parasumadai. That's what happens with the Purim story. That's Achashverosh. Golis Yavan, which we just spoke a lot about. That was Hanukkah time. And then the Golis that we're currently in, which is Golis Edom. Yes, and Golis will just translate that as exile, right? We're talking about these are the four exiles of the Jewish people. Is that right? How you translate it? Yeah, four exiles of Jewish people, yeah. So this was the very first step of Golis Babel. So just to give this like something of of a deeper perspective, the Babylonian army surrounding Yushalayim means, what it really means is the very... First step of the very first Golos has just happened. Okay, so so right away there you get you start you you start seeing that there's there's kind of more to this than what meets the eye. There's something very significant happening in our history. Now, we are taught that the four exiles correspond to four averos. Okay, so there's the three capital crimes. The three capital cardinal, crimes cardinal. are. Well, we take it away. No, the three cardinal sins. Card- a lot of capital crimes. Capital crimes. Okay, cardinal sins. All right, that's yeah, a there, word. there's three sins that you have to be willing to die and and not transgress. The three okay. general categories of of, trans- and, and uh, of are- transgressions. And those are murder, of course. Mm-hmm. Someone says murder someone or I kill you. You have to bite the bullet. Uh, idolatry and the whole suite of of sexual crimes. That's right. So what we're taught is that. The the first three exiles correspond to those three. So, Bavel is Avodazara, idolatry. Parasumadai is um, immoral, sexual immorality. So, people don't even realize this. This kind of goes unmentioned in the Perm story, but sexual immorality actually plays a very big role. Um, the the party, the Achashverosh's party, uh, one of the big problems with it was there was a lot of immorality going on. It wasn't just the food. It was it was the company. Um, so Parasumadai is, is very much associated with that. Yavan is Shvichas uh, Damim. Okay, it's murder. So those are the three. That's the lineup. And then goes Edom, very interestingly, with one we're currently in, this farm tells us, Svas Emes says this, is Lashon Hara, which the Gemara tells us that Lashon Hara is as bad as all three combined. Right, Lashon Medabaras Kedolos. The Lashon is just as bad as all, all three combined, which is why our Golis is the longest and it's the most bitter. The point is that Bavel, Golis Bavel, is associated with Avodazara. So, you know, it's this, this Golis, this exile that's about to begin on Asar Bateves, that's when they start knocking on the door. It's also very much connected with Avodazara. Because this is the beginnings of the Bavel Golas, the Avodazar Golas. Now, right away, I'm starting to see a connection, at least to one thing. Dun. We said this is the Shevet of Dun. Dun has a very unhappy history with Avodazar. 
right? Uh, the earliest uh, mention of this, I think you'll find in Parshas Lech Lecha, where it says, Avram Avinu, uh, this was in the war with the four kings and the five kings. At some point it says, Vayirdof ad Dun. He ran all the way to Dun. Obviously Dun wasn't born yet, but still that portion of Eretz was called Dun because eventually later on in history, Dun would, uh, that, that would fall to Dun. And it says that he stopped running. And Rashi does, why did he stop running? Because he became weak because of the Avodazar that would happen there. And I think it's referring to the Avodazar that happened in the days of Yeravan ben Vod. Um, the, the Egel Hazahav was erected in the tribe of Dun, uh, their portion of Eretz Yisrael. Other mentionings of Don and um, Avodazara is the whole Pesel Micha story, which I'm not fully familiar with. I, I really should have brushed up on that. But there was this Avodazara that I think a lot of people ended up following, and it was all coming from Shevet Don. I do know that in Parshish Kiseitze, when we learn about Amalek attacking the Jewish people, the verse says, who did Amalek attack? They attacked the stragglers behind you. And Tagamiyonasen says, who is that? That's Shevet Dun. He says, why? Why? They were straggling because they were kicked out. They were booted from the Anana Kavod. Why? Because they had this affiliation with Avodazara. So Dun and Avodazara, it's a problem. This is an old problem. And so if we know that in the month of Tevis, the Babylonian exile begins, and the Babylonian exile is the exile of Avodazara, um, so then we right away can make that connection, that that's why this has something to do with Dun. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So okay. so Dan, the tribe of Dan, has a certain penchant, a certain weakness, a certain proclivity for idolatry compared to the rest of the tribes, and we have this uh, incipient exile that's happening now with the, the surrounding of the city and Babylon, the first of the exiles is, cor- is, is corresponding to the, the transgression of idolatry. And therefore, it's no shock that we see, you know, in, in, with Babylon and with the encirclement of Jerusalem that the tribe of Dan is going to be affiliated uh, because of the certain weakness that, uh, that they have towards idolatry. Right. Now, the other thing I would point out is that also might explain the Gedi because so a Gedi is a baby goat. The adult version of a Gedi is a Seir. Now, Seir is explicitly used in the Torah as a reference to Avodah Zarah. I can't remember what parsha it's in. It's, um, I can't remember, but Lisboach la Seirim. Do you know this verse? Of it will be familiar. Yes. It, it explicitly yes. refers to Seir as a reference to Avodah Zarah. So the goat is somehow associated with Avodah Zarah. So perhaps the Gedi as well, being the junior version of the Seir. And once again... You know, we can make that connection between Don, Gedi, and Bavel, all having to do with Avodazar. But let's take this. Let's take this a little deeper. So we we know that Bavel is now surrounding themselves around Yerushalayim. Bavel and Yerushalayim have a very ancient history together. And the first time you'll see them come up is at the end of Parshas Noach. The end of Parshas Noach, we are taught that this anonymous group of people head out to build themselves an ir umigdal, a city and a tower. And with it, they wish to challenge God. Right? Venasa lanu shame. And as we know, and this is like one of the most famous biblical stories, is that um, the, right, the verse begins by saying they all spoke the same language, lashon echad, and then their languages got all mixed up and the whole idea of languages really evolved from there, the, the fact that there's a diversity of languages in the world. And then the verses concluded that that is Babel. 
That's why they they, beca- they got the name Bavel because they were like literally babbling, right? They they didn't know what they were saying because nobody could understand each other's language. It's a very mystical story. But here's the point. The point is that the Sefer Beis Yaakov, uh, I think that is um, from the Ishbitzer dynasty of Hasidus. He quotes the Zohar that, that says, "What's this? Ir Umigdal, a city and a tower inside the city." So he says a very deep idea. He says that there was something something very spiritually sensitive that was happening at that time. Avram Avinu, at this end of Pashas Noach, Avram Avinu comes onto the scene, Pashas Lech Lecha, or really even at the tail end of Pashas Noach. They sensed the oncoming of Avram Avinu. Okay, Avram Avinu is about to happen. They knew in their heart that Avram Avinu has the ability to overwhelm everything they represent. So if they represent idolatry, evil, immorality, whatever it might be, Avram Avinu will come along and stamp it out of all of them. He will create this entity called the Jewish people, and the Torah will be given to them, and all that's good and holy and spiritual and spiritually positive will evolve from that. So they wanted to nip Avram Avinu in the bud. And here's what they knew. They knew, and we're going to explain this in a bit, but they knew that the secret to the Jewish people and the secret to Avram Avinu's legacy lies in the Beis HaMikdash. You need a Beis HaMikdash for for this mission to succeed. So what they did was they said, we're going to build our own base of Mikdash. That's what we're going to do. And so they said, we're going to make an ear, a city, and a tower inside the city. Because the dynamic that the base of Mikdash has to function in is, has to be surrounded by a city, Yerushalayim. And then within that city, there's going to be this like concentrated um, burst of spirituality in the base of Mikdash. So an ear, umigdal. That's the dynamic of the base of Mikdash, and that's exactly what they wanted to model uh, their project after. And they were going to build their own base of Mikdash, but it wouldn't be a good base of Mikdash, it would be a bad base of Mikdash, right? And with that, they would undermine everything that Avram Avinu was going to do. That is what they were doing. Okay, so they're trying to build a base of Mikdash, and who are they? They are Bavel. So here you have again, right? They become a bubble. That bubble at its roots, right? The very conception of the nation bubble is the kind of the destruction of the base of Mikdash. I mean, building a base of Mikdash that would challenge our base of Mikdash. So bubble has this obsession with our ear, with our city and our tower that's inside the city. The ear of Mikdal happened all the way then and it's kind of happening again now. They're back at the ear. They're surrounding the city trying to get in for the second time. Um, so that's really cool. Okay, but but I want to understand this a little deeper. What does this mean? What does the Zohar mean when they say that? Or, or what does the Sefer Beis Yaakov mean when he says that Avram Avinu was the very beginning of the Beis HaMikdash? I mean, the Beis HaMikdash wasn't built till thousands of years after Avram Avinu. So what I think perhaps it means is like this. Avram Avinu, in a nutshell, if I were to, to describe everything he accomplished in one word, that one word would be Echo. One. Oneness. The, the, the verse in Yechezkel refers to Avram Avinu as Echad Hoya Avram. Avram was Echad. Meaning the whole idea of monotheism and, and the, the oneness of God was Avram Avinu's innovation. And that was his message that he spent his entire life trying to disseminate to all of humanity. Echad. Echad Hoya Avram. Now, the Maral tells us in regard to the Besam Mikdash, I want to read to you his words, because I, I don't necessarily uh, understand them fully. But he says, try to find this. Um, 
Yeah, I might not find it right now. But he says, basically, that the ability for the Jewish people to remain as one is dependent on the Beis HaMikdash. He says that it's through the Beis HaMikdash. Yeah, I found it. Yisrael mis'achtem al yidei Beis HaMikdash. The Jewish people become one via the Beis HaMikdash. Shehoyo lahem kohen echad. They had only one kohen. Mizbeach echad, only one mizbeach, one altar. Right, Vanessa Bamos, they weren't allowed to make any sacrifice out, sacrifices outside of the base of Mekdash. Shalohaya Pirod Vichiluk be Israel, because there couldn't be any separation amongst the Jewish people. The base of Mekdash was the place where all the Jewish people came together. And the Maral goes on to explain that that's why Sinas Chinam, hatred amongst uh, amongst the Jews, caused the destruction of the base of Mekdash, because they were uh, they were challenging the the very purpose of the base of Mekdash. Okay, so Avram Avinu is Echad, and the Beis HaMikdash is what perpetuates that legacy. Which is why, I think, the the birth of Avram Avinu was the very beginnings of the construction, the conceptual construction of the Beis HaMikdash, because they both stand for the same concept. Does this make sense, Rabbi Wolby? It's, it, I'm getting there. So there's a certain kind of consolidation or, or unification or unity that Abraham represents, and that, of course... Relates to the unification of, or, or the, the idea of, of, uh, the singularity of God, that, that Shemachad is only one God, not all the other powers. And that is, so to speak, the, the flashpoint between Abraham and the Babylonians and the temple and the later Babylonians. And that's the conflict that comes, comes to a head in, in this month. Excellent. Okay. But it gets even more specific because if you look at those verses, all the way back in, at the end of Parshish Noah, when it introduces these guys uh, who are about to build this strange tower, this is how it describes them. And all of the land, all the people, spoke one language and words of one, uh, hard, very hard to translate, words of oneness. I, I mean, basically the point is, that this idea of Echad was very central to their entire culture. They were extremely united. They spoke only one language. They spoke words of oneness. Okay, they had this power of unification, of unity. And that is why, that is why there was a real, there was a real power to their efforts. They could have done this. That's what I think. Meaning, they were about to build a base of Mexico. Like, imagine if a group of random, people from a random nation say, we're going to build a base of English. Would God go out of his way to say, oh no, I got to mess this up because they have the power to destroy everything that's good and holy? Or would God say, do your thing, man. Like, I don't care. So, right? But he's not doing it. He's taking this very seriously. Hashem took this very seriously. And I think the reason is because, again, the base of English represents, its power is unity, right? And they had that power. They had it. They were a very unified people. So they were, they had the potential to use their unity and manipulate it to advance their agenda. So that's why, what did God do? What God did was a, a tit for tat response. He came along and said, okay, I'm going to destroy your unity. And what he did was he took their language away from them and he made multiple languages and they no longer could communicate with each other and they were no longer unified. So their entire threat is now gone. That's what was going on then. Now they're coming back. Okay, they're coming back on a Sarbateves and they want to they want to penetrate the walls of the city 
of Yerushalayim and get to the base of this once again. Why are they doing that? They tried once before and they failed. Why are they doing it again? So here's what I think. This is really deep. The Sefer Karnayim, which is an old Kabbalistic Sefer, he writes a very deep thing. He says that Avram Avinu was born in the month of Teves. Okay? Just like me. <laughs> he was born in the month of Teves. And he said, and the, there's a Pirish on the Sefer Karnayim written by Rabsham Shinashtrapoli, also a very ancient, uh, old Mekobol, who lived in the, um, the 17th century. And he writes that this is hinted to in the words Tikover Besebetov. Okay, I, I messed up. He does not say Avram Avinu was born in Tevis. He says Avram Avinu died in Tevis. He passed away in Tevis. Says the Vidan Yadin that this is hinted to in the words Tikover Besebetova. So Hashem tells Avram, uh, you will be buried in, I mean, will be, how would you translate Seva Tova? Like, Good. In, in, a, in a good old age. At, at a ripe old age. A good old age, right? Ripe good old age, yeah. Yeah, so you'll be buried. So the words tikaver, besevet tova, the Rashi Tevos are tough, base, and then, um, tough, base, and then tes, which backwards, backwards read teves. Okay? So Avram Avinu is being told you're gonna die in teves. So he dies in teves. Okay. Now, so much they say. I, I wanna add on to that, that we know a principle that we always assume, unless we know otherwise, that a tzaddik, certainly a, a biblical tzaddik, dies on the day he's born. We learned this from Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe Rabbeinu says, Today my days and my years are complete. The Gemara Sota, page 13b, tells us that what that means is that I will be dying on the day I was born. I'll be dying, I was born on Zion Adar, I'm going to die on Zion Adar. So I'm going to take the liberty to assume that if Avram Avinu died in Tevez, he was also born in Tevez. Okay, which means philosophically that in the month of Tevez, this, this dark, dreary, boring month is the birth of the patriarch of our people. Think about that. Right? There's this, there's this very powerful energy in the month of Tevez that terrified the Babylonians just like it did back in the day. Back in the day, the Babylonians, or they weren't even called Babylonians yet, they said, oh my gosh, Avraham Avinu is going to be born, we better stop this thing, we better build a base of Mikdash to destroy the base of Mikdash that he's going to build. And here they're back again in the month of Tevez, saying this power of Avraham Avinu is having a rebirth, we better stop this thing. So that is what I think is going on, on a deeper level of Asar Tevez and the Babylonians coming back to surround Yerushalayim. Okay, so just to put this all together, we said that the Babylonians have this, they caused this like multitude of languages, right? They started off with Echod, they ended up with a whole bunch of different languages. Um, and there are whole agendas to challenge of Ramavinu. We also mentioned earlier that the Babylonians are very much associated with Avodazar. The Golis Babel is the Golis of Avodazar. So I, I want to make this clear that this is one and the same idea. The opposite of Avodazar is Echad. When you believe in the unity of God, there is no such thing as Avodazar. Okay? Shema Yisrael The moment you abandon the, the moment you, you abandon the mantra of Shema Yisrael of, of Echad of Achdos Hashem, you're already in Avodazar territory. Avodazar 
is multiplicity. In the Zohar, they say that a Rishos HaYachid is the Jewish people, Rishos HaRabim is the non-Jewish world. Multiplicity is a non-Jewish thing because we believe in Echad. So what's really going on with, with Babel and the reason why the, the multi, multiplicity of languages evolved from them is because they are Avodah Zarah. So Avodah Zarah can't ever really maintain a connection to Echad, which is why it fell apart. That's why they were not able to succeed. Right? So the, the idea of Babel having numerous languages or causing numerous languages to come into existence is because they are Avodazara. And numerosity is always going to be aligned with Avodazara, whereas singlehood is always going to be aligned with Avram Avinu and belief in Hashem. Does, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so the reason why it's crucial to understand that is because we're going to jump right now to the Targum Shivim, right? The story of this Malach Talmai telling, um, telling the Sanhedrin that they have to translate the Torah into, into Greek. Because now we understand it. We understand what's going on. Because this Lashon Echod, this, this language that originally Bubble spoke and that was taken away from them, that was Lashon HaKodesh. That was the only language that existed. That is the Lashon Echod. Lashon Echod doesn't just mean one language. It means a language of oneness. The language of God, the godly language, the one that communicates unity, is Lashon HaKodesh. What Talmai, this king, was, what he wanted to accomplish wasn't that he wanted a nice art scroll translation to help him understand the verses of the Torah better. What he wanted is he wanted to translate the Torah away. And say, I do not want a Lashon HaKodesh anymore. I do not want it to be a part of the world of Avram Avinu anymore. The world of Lashon HaKodesh. The world of of Echad. I wanted to now enter the world of the 70 languages. And that's already the territory of Avodah That's the territory of Bavel. That is the world of Rosh That's what he was trying to accomplish. So now do we understand why... These two things are going together. Golas Bavel, right? The, the, the Golas, the people who are built on the foundation of multiple languages, a world of languages as opposed to Lashon Echad, is, fits perfectly with the idea of Talmai telling the Sanhedrin to translate the Torah into Yama. Rabbi Wobi, does that, does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense, yes. And I have some notes here that I'm amassing. So, okay, so but, but I, I want, I'm so certain that you're going to bring up some of the subjects that I'm just going to keep quiet. <laughs> okay, okay, probably not. But the one thing I wanted to point out: Do you remember the letter? The letter of Teves was Ayin. Yeah, Ayin. What's the gematria of Ayin? Seventy. Seventy. And there you have it. The, the breakdown of languages was it went from one to seventy. And like Rabbi Wolby mentioned earlier. I have something of an obsession with this dynamic of 1 and 70. Right? The Aleph is 1 and, and the Ayin is 70. Uh, Kabbalistically, the, the degradation of Aleph, meaning when, when people, when people act immorally, the Aleph, which is, which is unity, which is Avram Avinu, it breaks down into an Ayin and it becomes 70. But that's, that's for a different time. But the idea is here that we see that Teves and Bavel and Don, it all has to do with this abandonment of Echad which right away brings you into the world of the 70 nations and the 70 languages, and that's why Ayin is going to be the letter of 
the month of Teve. So, so far, we managed to resolve a whole bunch of things here. We know why it's done. We know why it's Gedi. We know why it's the letter Ayin. We understand the connection to all that and Bavel, and we understand the connection with all of that to Talmai, who made the Jewish people translate the Torah into uh, a foreign language. Okay. Now we're going to have to talk about Ezra, and this is where things are going to get a little bit complicated. Are we okay with that? Let's go. Okay, so we, we mentioned briefly that this Lashon of Echad, the Lashon of Avram Avinu, is Lashon HaKodesh. Okay, that sounds fair enough. But what does that really mean? Um, what, what is the significance of Lashon HaKodesh? Why is it that much, that, why is it that fundamentally different from the other language? So here is a, like a Devar Torah I want to share with you. This kind of stands on its own its own two feet. I shared this um, Shavuos time. There seems to be a contradiction in two Gemaras in, in Shas, two Gemaras in Talmud Bavli. In Shabbos, in the tractate of Shabbos on page 88b, it tells us like this, It says, when God gave the Torah, every word that came out of his mouth was divided into 70 different languages. Okay, did you know that? Like, did you know that? When you, when you envision Matan Torah, like, I don't know, I just always thought it was in Hebrew, but like, that's not what it's saying. It's like 70 languages were going down there. Okay, that's, that's interesting. But here's the problem with it. The problem is that the Gemara in Sota tells us that it, it, it quotes the verse that says, Moshe Yadaber Valakim Yanenu Bikol. Right, that's a verse in Yisro. Moshe spoke and God answered him with a voice. And the Gemara tells us in Sota, uh, page 33, that, that what that means is that Matan Torah was given in Lashon HaKodesh. Because the word kol, says the word kol, voice, means Lashon HaKodesh. The voice of God is Lashon HaKodesh. So is this not a contradiction? The Gemara in Shabbos tells us 70 languages. The Gemara in Sota tells us Lashon HaKodesh. How do you resolve these two quotes uh, from the Gemara. So I think, and this is what I, I, I shared Shavuostein, I think the answer is like this. There was two stages. There was an initial stage of call, a voice. I mean, your voice preempts your words, right? It's If you just make a sound, that's that's not being enunciated. That's not right. So those aren't words. It's just a voice. Then along comes your tongue or whatever it is. It turns that voice into words. So the initial stage in speaking is going to be a call, a voice, and that is considered to be Lashon HaKodesh. Why? Because it's internal. Your voice is internal. It's before it was articulated and expressed outward. The internal voice of God is Lashon HaKodesh. Lashon HaKodesh is an, a, a, a true expression of divinity, which is why it's referred to as a call, a voice. Because it's it's one with God. It is when God expresses himself, Lashon HaKodesh manages to encapsulate precisely what he's trying to say. Then the second stage is that it becomes Dibor, words. Once it's words, once it's outside of God, so to speak, he spoke it out, then it could be communicated or translated into the 70 different languages. So the words of the Lashon of the Gemara in Shabbos is very specific. It says, called Dibor v'dibor mi Every word that left the mouth of God was divided into 70 languages. It's very clear. That happened at the stage when it left the mouth of God. 
The Gemara Tzoto, it says it was Lashon HaKodesh, it's saying, Moshe Adaber velokim yanenu bekol, when it was still at the voice stage, when it was still internally a part of God, that was that was Lashon HaKodesh. Does that, does that make sense? Or really do you understand how that resolves the contradiction? Yeah, yeah. So there's the, like the, eternal, the, the internal voice, which is the kol, uh, the Hebrew word kol, and that's Lashon HaKodesh. And then it could, it could separate and splinter into 70 different debors or words or articulation once that call, once that call, once that voice is expressed. That's right. So there's these two, there's these two different functions here. There's call, which is Lashon HaKodesh, and then there's debor, which is the languages of the world. Now here's the thing. We don't oppose, like I, I told you, there's an entire, there's a wonderful company out there called Art Scroll. We don't oppose translating the Torah into different languages. What we oppose is divorcing those different languages from the kol. Okay? Meaning, it's fine to have Torah in English and Spanish and, and, and even Greek. So long as you understand that this is ultimately meant to bring you closer to the Torah's original form, which was Lashon HaKodesh, which was the kol. The B'nai Saskar talks about this idea. He talks about this idea of there being two things. There's a kol, and then there's dibor. And he's, he talks about it very Kabbalistically. Uh, this is in Tishrei, when he's talking about Sukkot. Uh, I don't know if I have to get into everything he says there. He says that the kol is associated with the Shem Havaya, yod hey vav hey. The dibor is associated with the Shem Adnos, which is Aleph, Aleph, and Yod. He says when you bring them together, uh, it brings happiness to your life, which, this is, this is all very Kabbalistic stuff, but he does throw in there that it says, by Harsinai, kol dvarim atem shomim. You are hearing the kol dvarim. So he says, it doesn't just say you're hearing the kol, and it doesn't just say you're hearing the dvarim. You're hearing the kol dvarim, the voice of the words, meaning there's a unity between the voice and the, and, and, and the words, meaning there's a unity between Lashana Kodesh and the 70 languages of the world. There's a unity between the Jewish people and the 70 nations of the world, right? There's, there's a, there's a unity between the, the two different forces. As opposed to divorcing one from the other. So I have another Dvar Torah, which I wrote in a separate piece, which says that Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Cohen represent these two different functions. Moshe Rabbeinu said, when God asked Moshe Rabbeinu to go and free the Jewish people from Egypt, you know what he said? What did he say? He didn't want to do it. What was his word? I am not a man of words. I am not a man of words. I don't speak words. What does that mean? He doesn't speak words. So in, in school, when we were kids, we used to learn, like, he's a relative assignment. He had a speech impediment, which, uh, you know, that is what the verses seem to say. But obviously, it's much, 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 much deeper than that. So I'll tell you what I wrote. And maybe I'm, I totally missed the boat here. But there's the Sefer Imre Noam. He says that the words Omar Moshe and Moshe spoke. Omar Moshe. Moshe speaks. He says that is Gemachio, the word shofar. When Moshe speaks, it's a shofar. It's a call. It's not words. It's a call. Meaning Moshe Rabbeinu was so connected to the internal depth and meaning of the Torah that he wasn't even able, at least he claimed he wasn't even able to articulate it outward and turn it into words. He wasn't able to translate it into words. For him, it was like a shofar. It was just like a call. And that's what he said. I, I cannot talk. Uh, Why? Because Omar Moshe. When Moshe speaks, it's not words. It's a call. 
Isn't there a Chazal that says, don't our sages tell us that there's Shechina Medaberis Mitoch Grono? Right, Mitoch Grono, right. Like from within his throat. It's like, I never understood that. Like he's talking from within his throat, but, but that's what I think it means. Meaning like, it doesn't ever really leave him, right? It's not like, it doesn't get translated away. It's, he's one with his message and he's one with God's message. And therefore, the, the Debra, the Debra has to be outsourced. Oh, so, but what does God say? God says, all right, you need Debor? Who are we going to call in? We're going to call in Aaron Akoin. Aaron, the word Aaron is Gematria Devarim. It's just so fascinating. It's like one of my favorite Gematrias. Moshe Benny says, Lovish Devamanochi. Hashem says, okay, I'll bring on Aaron. What's Aaron Gematria? Devarim. It's like, you're lacking Devarim? I got the Devarim for you. Aaron Akoin had that ability to communicate Moshe Benu's message, to take that call and break it down into Debor. These are, that's Moshe and Aaron, and as we know, we really need them to be unified. Kol Dvarim Atam Shomim. You need, if Moshe and Aaron would have a divorce from each other, that would be terrible. Because then what would happen was, the Dvarim, the multiplicity, would be, you no, know, disunified from its original source. It would be the 70 languages no longer being connected to Lashon HaKodesh. It would be the 70 nations of the world no longer being connected to the Jewish people. It would really be about the Zar. Meaning it would be the idea of of seeing a world outside that's disconnected from from God, that's disconnected from the unity of God. So Aaron and Cohen and Moshe have to go together, and they do, and they do. It should be noted that Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, starts Eilah Dvarim Asher Dibra Moshe. Excellent. So after Aaron passed, oh. he was Moshe was able yeah, to. Yeah. So it's interesting because so the, the measures actually asks that question. They say, "How can right. you say Eilah Dvarim Asher Dibra Moshe?" Did Moshe not say, Lois Tavarmanochi? And they gave a very mystical answer, a very cryptic answer. They say that his tongue was healed. I have, I've written up about this in a different place. Anyways, here's the thing. Before we get to Ezra, I want to just flip right back to Talmai for a second. Talmai made them translate the Torah into Greek. But if you look at the Gemara there in, in Megillah, he has a very peculiar way of expressing his command. He says, Kisvuli Torahs Moshe Rabchem. Write for me the Torah of Moshe, your Rabbi. There's only one Torah, right? There's, why couldn't he just say, write for me Torah? So I want to suggest he was, he was going directly to this point. The problem he had with Torah is that it was Moshe's Torah. It was coming from a place of call. It was coming from that Omar Moshe, that call shofar, right? That, that, um, that expresses and personifies unity and oneness. He didn't want that. He wanted you to rob it, steal it away from Moshe Rabbeinu and write it for me. Let it become my territory. I'm fine with the Torah so long as it's disconnected from Moshe because Moshe is just way too connected to God. Moshe literally only speaks the voice of God. I want a Torah that is one that is already away, removed, a step up removed from God Right, called I want it to be removed from God and be disconnected from the call that Moshe represents. That's why it says Kisvuli Torah Moshe Rabchem. Okay, but let's move along to Ezra. Ezra's a fascinating individual. Here's how the Torah introduces us. Sorry, how the how the Navi introduces us to Ezra. In the seventh parak of Sefer Ezra, it says. You've never seen anything like this. Is it Ezra ben Sharia ben Azariah ben Chilkiah ben Shalom ben Tzadok ben Achitov ben Amariah ben Azariah ben Mariavas ben Z- It just keeps going and going and going. All the way till ben Aaron HaKohen. 
I have never seen such a long list of ancestors, um, you know, being lined up in the Torah. Have you ever seen that? Like, it's, sometimes see one generation, two, three, this is like ten, this is ten generations, I think. I think it is ten. Um, so what's up with that? Going all the way to Iron Cohen, like, why stop? Just keep going. Go all the way to other Marishan, right? So the idea is like this. Um, the Kabbalists tell us that Ezra wasn't just a descendant of Aaron Cohen. Ezra was a Gilgal of Aaron Cohen. Okay, and that's why it's important for the Torah to show you the lineage all the way up to Aaron, because he was Aaron. He was Aaron. He's a reincarnation of Aaron. Okay. So much so, says the, I think it's the Megala Mukos. I hope I got that one right. That he says, um, we find Moshe being with Davin to go to Eretz Yisrael. He says, why did Aaron Akoi not Davin to go to Eretz Yisrael? The, the, the decree applied to both of them that neither of them were allowed entry. He says, Aaron Akoi had no concern because he knew he was going to Eretz Yisrael. Not this time around, but the next time around. When he's Ezra, he's going to be Olami Bavel, right? Ezra was Olami Bavel and he went to Eretz Yisrael. So Aaron Akoi had no fears. He was going to get there eventually. Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu, um, we don't find that. Pretty cool stuff. Okay. Ezra is Aaron Cohen. Remember, Aaron Cohen is the Devarim aspect. But there's another thing we find out about Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, sorry about Ezra. And that is that he's super connected to Moshe Rabbeinu. Says the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Tanya, Rabbi Yossi Omar, Roy Haya Ezra Shatinasin Torah al Yadoli Israel Omale Kadmu Moshe. Ezra, it says, had the ability to give the Torah, he would have been able to give the Torah had Moshe not, had Moshe not preempted him. Ezra was kind of like, he had this Moshe-like quality that he could have given the Torah. Just like Moshe. The Torah refers to the, sorry, the, again, the, the Pasuk refers to him after giving that whole rundown and showing how it descends from Aaron coin, that literally the next Pasuk says, who Ezra, all of who so fair mahir betoras Moshe, asher nasa neshem He was, a, was so fair mahir, Rabbi will be, I don't know how to translate, so fair mahir. He was like an extremely, extremely... A speedy scribe? A speedy scribe, but it means something more than that. He was super diligent in the Torah of Moshe. Again, stressing the Torah of Moshe. What I want... Doesn't it say that he was 120 years old when yes, he died? Yes, yes, he was 120 when he died. They, they are, I, I didn't manage to put them all together, but there are multiple other Maimari Chazal that show this connection between Ezra and Moshe. He's Again, so he's a Sofir Mohar Torah's Moshe. He could have given the Torah had Moshe not done it, which means, again, only Moshe was allowed to give the Torah. So if Ezra's giving the Torah, that means he's super similar to Moshe. So what I want to suggest is, here's the thing. We know he's a Gilgal Aaron. That, that's, that's what we're being told. But we also know that he's very, very he's very diligent when it comes to the Torah's Moshe. Perhaps what this means is that Ezra personifies this connection between these two functions. There's this call, Moshe, and there's Devarim, which is Aaron. He says, I'm Aaron, but I'm going to be a sofer mar with Moshe. I will never forget that the power of Aaron lies in his connection with Moshe Rabbeinu. The Devarim, the articulation, the communication of Aaron Cohen is only valuable if it will ultimately bring you closer to the unity of the call of Moshe Rabbeinu. So Ezra has both. He's a Gilgal of Aaron, but he's very much uh, connected and dedicated to Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, now, I didn't have time to get into this, but if I'm right, then there's something super spooky. Because the same Gemara Sanhedrin tells us, I mean, well, but you're a big expert in Masechah Sanhedrin, so you're going to have to help me with this. 
It's this is what it says. It says Betchila Nitna Torah that you sold Biksav Ivri Veloshana Kodesh. Originally the Torah was given to the Jewish people with Iksav Ivri, right? That's just some uh, style of writing and in Lashana Kodesh. Khazra Vinitnis Lahem Bime Ezra, in the days of Ezra it was given again. Biksav Ashuris in the in in a different style of writing, Ashuris, Veloshan Arami, and it was given in the in the Lashan of Arami. That's like um Targum Unklis, Aramaic. Okay, so the Torah in the days of Ezra switches languages. I don't even know what this means. This is completely, uh, this is a complete enigma. I don't, I don't even understand what that means. It says the Gemara, Biriru lahem Yisrael. Ezra went ahead and he chose for the Jewish people, Ksavashuris Lashon He rejected Lashon Arami and he, and he opted only for Lashon Kodesh and the Ksavashuris. Doesn't this sound like exactly like what we're saying here? Like in the days of Ezra, I don't even know what this means. There was like another giving of the Torah, this time in a different language, and Ezra says, no, I don't want that. I only want Lashon HaKodesh. I mean, well, we got to look deeper into this Gemara. I didn't have a chance to delve into it. But it sounds uncannily like the ideas we're discussing here. That like when you have Ezra, when you have Aaron Cohen, there is a danger of the Torah switching languages because Aaron Cohen has that ability. But Aaron Cohen didn't use it the wrong way, used it the right way, used it to, to always bring you back to the source. And Ezra did the exact same thing, right? There's this, the Torah is once again given, this time in, in Aramaic, and he's like, no, I don't want that. I only want Lashon HaKodesh. Well, it might have to do perhaps with the second acceptance of the Torah in the times of Ahasuerus. Jewish people reaccepted it, and that's right afterwards comes Ezra to rebuild the temple. So maybe that's uh, what it has to do. But I, you should know about this particular subject in the Talmud, there's literally an entire book written about it. Oh, yeah? Rabbi Reuven Margolis wrote a book about Tzav Ivri and Tzav Ashuris and, um, you know, Assyrian script and the ancient, uh, they call it like Paleo-Hebrew script. Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of literature about this, um, and it is very confusing, so... Okay, anyways, let's yeah, just put I, a pin I don't in know, it. I just saw that go around, <laughs> like, I gotta quote this, because it just sounds too, it sounds too similar to everything that we are discussing. Okay, so I think, I think we're basically done here. So we have these three events. All of them appear, at least according to our theories, that they have this common theme. They're all the idea of a world of multiplicity, which is a world of Avodazara, a world that rejects the oneness of God, trying to take over a world of unity. So let's, let's just review them. So it's the, the, um, translating the Torah away from Hebrew. Okay. Translating the Torah away from Hebrew into a different language. And again, not doing it for the sake of understanding the Torah in its original form. Doing it for the sake of creating a new Torah that's divorced from its original form, right? Then there's the death of Ezra, right? The death of the one who personified the connection between Dvarim and Kol. Then there's Bavel, this people who created this whole mess in the first place, coming back to take over Yerushalayim to destroy the base of Migdash, which the Maral told us is the source of all Achdus. We said that Tevis is the shaven of Don. Don, we know, has this uh, this ugly history with Avodazara. It's a Gidi. A Gidi, we said, is is possible. I, I haven't yet found a, a, an exact proof, but we know that a Seir is, is Avodazara, so a Gidi is likely connected to Avodazara. It's the letter Ayin, which is 70, which is the 70 nations of of the world. And then we mentioned that it's the... Okay, so this we didn't get to yet. Gadlu Lasham Itu Yonoroma Mashmo Yachta. Here's the thing. The, the Shabbos before Pesach is called Shabbos HaGadol. I mean, why is it called Shabbos HaGadol? 
All kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. But one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons is because they tied down the sheep of the Egyptians on that day. Right? They tied it down. Now, what, what's the big deal? The sheep of the Egyptians was there of Odazar. They worshipped the sheep. The day when you tie down there of Odazar, when you conquer there of Odazar, it's called Gadol. There's greatness. God has become great. Because the more of others are in the world, the less revelation of God there is in the world. Right, and, and Abraham corresponds to Hakel Hagadol, right? Excellent, excellent, very good. Abraham corresponds to the Midah of Gadol. And I think, partially, maybe the reason is, because who, who is the ultimate destroyer of others are? Who picked up an axe and like chopped up the idols of his father's idol shop? As Avraham Avinu. So Avraham Avinu is Godal because he's the one who destroys Avodazara and brings out that much more godless, that much more greatness of, of, of Hashem. So the, the verse of Teves and the theme of Teves is Godal Hashem Iti Let's knock this Avodazara out of ourselves and make God great once again. And, uh, and that's it, folks. Um, I, I do want to say, I mean, th- this is still kind of negative. I, I haven't worked on the positive part. I mean, what was going to help me out with it? Meaning the whole idea, let, let me just point something out. Done. We, we're really hitting on done this time, but you have to realize something done. Some done is very, very special. Done is very special because the capital of Avodazara, one, one of the great Avodazara people of our history is Asaf, right? Now, who killed Asaf? You know who killed Asaf? Chushim killed Esau. Who's Chushim? Chushim is the son of Don. Chushim ben Don. Another thing. In Parshat Vayechi, when Yaakov gives the brachas to all of his children, when he comes to Don, he says, Hashem. I see Mashiach here. Okay? Says the Rizal, Chushim in the Torah is spelled without a vav. <laughs> it's the same letters as Mashiach. Don is very much connected to Mashiach. Don has the power to destroy Avodazara. He killed Esau. So, this is something we can discuss. I didn't really delve into it, but it's his very weakness that is his strength. Meaning, there's a reason why the Shevet of Don is succumbing to Avodazar every now and again. It's because the power to destroy Avodazar is really his. Which is why their urge and their temptation is that much harder. Now, why Don, of all people, was chosen for that role, I don't know. Um, but I guess what my point is, is that it's the month of Teves, uh, that means we have that power. We, we have, we have the weakness, but we have the power as well. The same way it was the son of Dun who overcame Asaph. So too, it's the month of Dun, maybe, that will allow us to overcome Asaph. And just like this was the very beginning, the very beginning, the first stage of Golos, of the four exiles, the first stage of the first exile happened in Tevis. Um, maybe the first stage of our ultimate exodus will happen in Tevis. And we hope that will happen really soon. This is uh, obviously incredible. And I want to thank you for doing all the heavy lifting. I, I did jot down some comments that I have over here. Maybe I'll share them with you. Sure. Um, so first of all, you know, just basic. Esav, you told me Esav is a Vodazara. And he's also called a, a Sa'ir, right? That, that everybody, The Medrash connects the Sa'ir to the Sa'ir, which is the, the same letter is spelled, the hairy one. Asaf was, uh, he was, he was very hairy versus, um, and that's, uh, also the term for, for the goat. So, of course, that's just to wrap up that point. But I was thinking, first of all, didn't we write the Talmud in Babylon? Isn't there the Babylonian Talmud? Which is not written in Hebrew. It should be noted. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder how that connects. It's almost like us, us taking upon the quality of Bavel 
of, of Babylon, which is the idea of having all those foreign languages, but kind of usurping it or commandeering it, expropriating it for our, for our benefit to actually explain the Torah of Moshe in a sanctioned and justified way. Excellent. So, so yes, Maybe. absolutely. I heard a full share on this from Rabbi Tatz, Rabbi Kiva Tatz, who speaks about this idea. He, he puts the two things together. Avraham Avinu being born in Babel and the Talmud being written in Babel is all this idea of putting the fragmented pieces back together again. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, now, Chushim, it should be noted, the one who killed Esav, he was, he was deaf, but I think he was also mute. So I don't know how that connects to the idea of call and Debor, and somehow we have this deaf mute who's the one who's gonna decapitate, yeah, decapitate yeah. Esav. Another thing, if Abraham died and was born in the month of Teves, we know that on the day that Abraham died, Jacob is making his Nizid. He's making his right. lentils. And that's when Esav comes and says, oh, I'm going to die, right? Why is he going to die? Rashi says, because of the temple. So again, we see that overlap of the temple. And, and he forfeits his birthright and he yields it to Jacob in this month, according okay, to your okay, calculation. Okay, so it's actually better than that. It's actually better than that. So it's not 100% clear when Esav was killed, but there's very strong evidence that he was killed on Rosh Chodesh Teves. I think I'll tell you why. Because the um, the Masora, the tradition is that Yaakov was Yaakov died on Sukkot because the the verse says Yaakov nasa Sukkosa, which is obviously not referring to actual Sukkot, but it's except okay. Now we know they traveled for seventy days. Seventy days from Sukkot is Hanukkah, okay? Right, because seventy days from Tesla Tishrei is Chafei, and then it it sounds like there were seven additional days if you read the verses in Vayechi. Goran Ha'atad. Yeah, in Goran Ha'atad. So seven additional days from Chafei will get you to Rosh Chodesh Teves. According to that, the day he was buried, we know it was the same day that Esau was killed. Esau was killed on Rosh Chodesh Teves. So there you have it. It's amazing, Rabbi Wolby. He says, I'm going to die. Yes. He dies that day. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's incredible. Now, I also noticed when we talk about call, it does attribute call to, to Jacob, right? Hakol call Yaakov. And I, I wonder, perhaps, if maybe Yaakov's alter ego or his other persona as Yisrael is somehow the the way to get both of them in one. Maybe. Uh, what else do I have over here? Jewish people in, e- in Egypt, they didn't, they didn't change their language. Very uh, good. The fidelity to the language. Very good. Right. And I was thinking as well, we know that... Um, uh, when Jacob spent the night on Temple Mount, all the stones coalesced into one. And that reminded me of the idea of the base. That's, that's Temple Mount. And that's the idea of all the various different forces uniting. Um, that's right. Uniting. It's it, not it, just it's, Temple it's, Mount. It's like the opposite. Right. It's not just Temple Mount. That stone we're taught is the Evan Shasiyah, which, which the whole base of Mikdash was really built upon. So it's built upon that foundation of unity. Excellent. Anyhow, this was, uh, it's exquisite. I, I absolutely love it. I, I feel like. There's a lot more here. Oh, come on. There's got to be. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's enough, to, enough to work with until, until next month. Uh, you were a little bit uh, uncertain about Teves. There's nothing going on there. <laughs> but I guess next, next month we have Shvat. And, of course, there's uh, Tuba Shvat. Yeah. Which I know you have a lot of Tyra on that. So it should be uh, easier to, to do that uh, next month. But I want to thank you for uh, 
sharing your uh, brilliance and wisdom with us. And I'm looking forward to ready to next month, the month of Shvat. Uh, your email address, all, all the questions go to Rabbi Botnick. Don't ask me any questions. I, I, don't I just, I I don't just know. forward it's them to <laughs> It's too mysterious for me. But uh, botnicksm at gmail.com. My email address, you know, but don't email about about this because it's it's too mysterious. It's too difficult. It's too advanced. It's just way above me. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, until next month, I hope uh, y'all have a fantastic, fantastic month. All right. Thank you so much, everybody.